0: Good morning. Well, for those who don't know me, uh, my name's Paul Letvin. I'm one of two pastors here at Submerged Church. So if this is your first time with us, just want to extend a a very warm welcome to you, Uh, especially if it's your first time. Tomorrow, January 16th, is National Religious Freedom Day. Um, So January 16th is the anniversary of the passage of of the Virginia Statute on Religious Freedom. We've got a slide here. Uh, so, so there's there's the original document, or well, I mean after they typed it up, of course, what, not the handwritten one. And then Tom, Thomas Jefferson down uh, on the right. This this was one of his greatest accomplishments, by his own admission. It was is one of the three things that was put on his gravestone, other than being the president of. Uh, Founding uh, Virginia University, and then the other one was uh, one of the writers of the Declaration of Independence. So we had th- those three things were on his gravestone. But this this was one of the three things that he thought was so important was his the Virginia statute on religious freedom. Some of you are probably already reading, but yeah, uh, President President Trump in his 2018 proclamation on Religious Freedom Day uh, explained it well. So our, our forefathers seeking refuge from religious persecution believed in the eternal truth that freedom is not from the government, but a sacred right from Almighty God. On the coattails of the American Revolution, on January uh, 16, 1786, the Virginia General Assembly passed the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom. This seminal bill, penned by Thomas Jefferson, states that all men shall be free to profess and by argument to maintain their opinions in matters of religion, and that the same shall in no wise diminish enlarge or affect the civil capacities. Five years later, these principles served as the inspiration of the First Amendment, which affirms our right to choose and exercise faith without government coercion or reprisal. We are called to be bold, unashamed followers of Jesus and to be committed to being a source of truth in our world and culture, being able to give people a reason for the hope that we have, uh, as we're going to be talking about in 1 Peter 3.15 and as we all read uh, earlier today. Uh, we've got the sign up here, the church should shape our culture, not the other way around. But today I think that's what we see, don't we? We see the culture shaping the church, sadly. I was delighted last Monday to uh, attend the Moorhead City Council meeting where it was brought up in protest. Uh, <laughs> a human rights award that was given to the, uh, manager owner of the red river women's clinic, uh, by, by the, uh, by the Moorhead city council, uh, talk about oxymoron and, and, uh, she didn't even show up to get it herself. From what I heard, that someone else accepted it on her behalf. But anyway, there was a number of, of Christians who said, "Okay, we're not going to stand for this," and, and they showed up at this meeting. And it it was a blessing to my heart to be there. Even one of our own here spoke to the city council, uh, voicing concerns. Uh, very, very, that that she did a great sorry didn't mean to, <laughs> thought she did a great job. I was very proud of her uh, for doing that. Another another lady that comes to our up prayer gatherings quarterly uh, spoke as well, and. I was like, man, this is so encouraging. Um, and then I also asked myself, where's the men that are speaking up about this? And that's, that's a whole other topic I might speak on another day. But I was delighted to see these sisters. And, and there, there were men in, in the audience, too, that stood in support of uh, protesting against this award being given to a person who disregards human rights to the unborn, to the, to the preborn. Anyway, so, so that's just an example of how, how, of how we, need to, we need to be influencing our culture. So here in the United States, our forefathers have made, have made this, originally, fairly easy for us to do. Our Constitution and laws guarantee Americans the right not just to believe as they see fit, but to freely exercise their religion. However, as you well know, this freedom is facing an all-on assault like we have never seen before. Are we as Christians willing to speak up and defend our faith even as our American culture seems to grow more and more hostile toward conservative Christians. And we have to make a decision now. Uh, even at our men's time yesterday, uh, one of the guys mentioned, it's like, you know, we, we need we need to decide now what we're going to do when times really start getting hard, when someone comes knocking at your door. Uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of people are still... Lo- no, no one here, of course, but... Uh, The the general American church, I think, is still living with the normalcy bias and thinking, oh, that wouldn't happen here, surely. You know, we've got our religious freedoms. We can do as we see fit. And uh, the writing's on the wall, folks. Uh, Now now is the time to start deciding what are you going to do when your faith is put to the test? What are you willing to sacrifice for the Lord as he promised that there would be suffering, that that, uh, the world will hate you because of me? It hated me first. Jesus said that. So we're going we're to talk about this today. Uh, let, let's pray. Father, we're delighted to be in your presence. Pray you'd bless this time. God, I pray for open minds, Lord. I pray that we would uh, let go of any preconceived notions, Lord. I pray you'd break down any wrong thinking, uh, even that I have, Lord. I, I always want to be corrected. If, if I'm believing something that's not true or not the best path, uh, I, I want to know it, Lord. I pray you'd give us humble hearts that we would allow... Uh, allow your word to convict us, to speak into our lives? How can we become more like you today, Jesus? How can we uh, put our faith into action? And oh Lord, we need your help. Uh, this, this culture is uh, set on destroying conservative Christians. And we need your wisdom. We need your strength. How can we show the love of Christ? How can we speak the truth boldly? with gentleness and respect. Oh, give us wisdom today, Lord. Give us soft hearts as we hear from you uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a big idea today, which was solidified by the kids being up here. Hopefully you've got that visual in your mind. Let your light shine. I'm actually glad you did that because I was thinking, man, maybe we should just sing this little light of mine with the congregation. And then, and then Jim pulled it out with the kids. So that was great. So let your light shine. Let your light shine. That's the main big idea for today. Um, originally when I was preparing this message, I was, I was going to focus most all of it, uh, on what, what the separation of church and state means. And then as I, I start, I read numerous sources and f- discovered a lot. My, uh, there's so much I could tell you about it. And the more I thought, you know what, um, we need some action points. We need, uh, h- how can, how can the church be equipped on what to do? So, so that's going to be more of my focus, uh, on Christianity and culture today. However, I will start off with, with a little bit of dialogue on what that means. So, so uh, a wall of separation, um, and I, I'm probably preaching to the choir here. Some of this might be new news to you, but uh, everyone has heard this, this statement, separation of church and state, separation of church and state. Well, the original quote, the original quote, uh, is, it's a wall of separation between church and state. So those are the eight words that were written. Uh, So this phrase was written in a letter. Oh, and and one other thing I forgot to clarify. So so normally on the bulletins, we've got notes on the back. There was a big printing problem at the main location we usually go to. I had to get sent to another location. They were having problems, could only print it on one side, calling the manager, 15 people in line. I'm like, you know what, let's just... Just print it on one side. I, I got to get going and do other things. So uh, you got a blank space on the back to write down any thoughts today. So f- feel free to use that on the back of your bulletin to write, write anything down. Uh, so, so for example, a wall of separation between church and state. That's the original quote uh, written in a letter by Thomas Jefferson on January 1st, 1802. And it was written to the Danbury Baptist Association in Connecticut and that is the main source of the modern day concept of separation of church and state. Uh, Rick Green, the founder of Patriot Academy, who's leading our biblical citizenship class, has said, you know, he's gone to many campuses and he'll, he'll come up with that conversation and he'll start talking about religion and some student will come up and say, "Oh, what about separa- separation of church and state? And he's like, well, where does it say that? Well, it's in the Declaration of Independence. He said, nope, no, it's not. Well, some, some other student will pipe up, it's, it's in the Constitution. Nope, it's not in the Constitution. And then this is where the law students chime in and are like, yes, it is in the Constitution. <laughs> you, you tell me where it is. You know, it's, it's in the First Amendment. Okay, well, let's look at the First Amendment. Let's put that up there. Uh, there should be. A, yeah, so, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Is the word separation anywhere in there? No. How about church? No. How about state? No. I mean, you could argue, well, at Congress, but uh, where, where's where's the limitation here? Is the limitation on the church, or is the limitation on Congress, state? It's it's on it's on it's on Congress. So it, it says it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So so this is sometimes referred to as uh, the Establishment Clause or the Free Exercise Clause, okay? But notice that both religion clauses in that amendment, so Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, so that's the Establishment Clause, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, that's the Free Exercise Clause, Notice that both religion clauses in that amendment were pointed directly at the state and not at the church. So that is, the Establishment Clause prohibits the state from enforcing religious conformity. And the Free Exercise Clause ensures that the state will protect rather than suppress, as it currently does, the citizens' rights of religious expression, whether in public or private. And it's really important for us to know this because, uh, I mean, we, I, like I said, I read so much on this, could do a whole sermon just on that. But the fact of the matter is it's been completely misunderstood and twisted. It's probably one of the most widely misunderstood concepts of our time and one of the greatest assaults on conservative Christians. So the intent of separation of church and state is to keep the government out of the church and not the other way around. And it's important that we, we as Christians remember that because you will face this when you get into conversations or your kid, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some examples of what has happened to people that misuse this separation of church and state. Like, is it okay for kids to pray in school? It should be. Yep, it, it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, last year I had a whole big pamphlet on like, here are all the things that students are allowed to do in a public school. And if any, if any teacher or principal comes and tells them that they can't do that, then you can take them to court and you will win. As you know, uh, even uh, uh, the the IRS forming 501c3 organizations and saying that 501c3s can't speak politically, things like that. Well, well, each year, I think Family Research Council has been involved in this too. But e- each year, there's thousands of pastors that intentionally violate the the Johnson Amendment, that limitation. They send their sermons into the IRS, audio recordings, written say here you go, come arrest me. Guess what? You know how many pastors have been arrested or how many churches have lost their 501c3 status because of that? Zero. Zero. Because the IRS knows that they're not even a constitutional entity and if they were to try to come and uh, enforce this so-called law, which it's not, uh, on, on a pastor or a church, that, that, that they would lose. They, and they're, they're, not, they're not willing to embarrass themselves in court. Of course, you'd have to have some good people with you that know what they're talking about. But uh, anyway... Uh, But in the meantime, they're all too happy to have, and they just talked about that in their biblical citizenship class this last week, what is it, 317,000 pastors each week who are too afraid to talk about things like this because they think, I don't want to lose my 501c3 status. I don't want to offend anybody in our church that might be a little more, you know, liberal leaning when it comes to abortion and transgenderism, which we know is not a matter of politics. It's a matter of morality, God's morality. And that's the problem. It is with the separation of church and state stuff, they've taken God out of the public scare. You know, in 1962 with the Supreme Court ruling that they've, they, oh, you can't pray in school, you can't do this, you can't do this. Well, then where does our morality come from? If we've taken God out of everything. Okay, and it's no wonder that we see everything we're seeing today. Let me show you a couple examples of how Christians have been abused. And, and Christians, this, this, is just, this is just the tip of the iceberg of what's coming for us. And these are, think, these are not like real, these are not real recent events. I mean, I think they've happened within the last couple of decades, but certainly not within the last four or five years. But so uh, here, here's some intolerance for public Christian expressions that make us wonder if the stage isn't being set for something much more. A state employee in Minnesota was barred from parking his car in the state parking lot because he had a religious sticker on his bumper. I've got all the sources for these, by the way, too. A kindergarten student in Saratoga Springs, New York, was forbidden to say a prayer over her lunch and was scolded by a teacher for doing so. And yet we have teachers duct-taping masks to kids' faces. Wow. A military honor guardsman was removed from his position for saying, God bless you and this family, and God bless the United States of America, while presenting a folded flag to a family during a military funeral a statement the family requested be made at the funeral. Senior citizens meeting at a community center in Balk Springs, Texas, were prohibited from praying over their own meals. A library employee in Russellville, Kentucky, was barred from wearing her necklace because it had a small cross on it. Can you imagine flipping the tables on some of these situations? Some of you are probably thinking... College students serving as residential assistants in Eau Claire Wisconsin were prohibited from holding Bible studies in their own private dorm rooms. A third grader in Arano, Maine, who wore a t-shirt containing the words Jesus Christ was requested to turn the shirt inside out so the words could not be seen. A school official in St. Louis, Missouri, caught an elementary student praying over his lunch. He lifted the student from his seat, reprimanded him in front of the other students, and took him to the principal who ordered him to stop praying. I hope those people (laughs) went to jail for that, that there was a lawsuit, because that was completely a violation of First Amendment rights. In Memphis, Tennessee a library offered shelves for displaying community advertisements and announcements. When a local church placed a notification of its upcoming Christmas program and a small nativity scene on the shelf, the library required the removal of Joseph, Mary, Jesus, and the wise men from the scene, leaving only the farm animals. Well, at least they let them keep the farm animals, right? Now, it gets better. Listen to this. So the enforced exclusion of Christian faith from the public square in America is now so aggressive that in Orange County, California, a pastor was arrested for quietly playing Christian music at his picnic table in a public park. Arrested. Two Gideons were arrested in Florida for standing on a sidewalk and giving Bibles to those who wanted them. Four Christian evangelists at a public festival near Detroit were arrested for answering questions they had been asked about their own Christian faith. A Christian father was arrested in Lexington, Massachusetts for objecting to the public school teaching his kindergarten son about homosexuality and gay marriage. A 67-year-old man in Georgia was arrested for passing out Christian tracts on a public street. In Philadelphia, 11 Christians were arrested for holding up signs with Bible verses during a gay pride parade down the city streets. I I could go on and on. There's more examples, but you you get the point. Um, our, our, our culture has become so aggressive towards Christians, and, and they, they are stamping out our God-given rights that were put in the First Amendment to protect us. Now, here's the question. Here's the question. Do you really think that Thomas Jefferson, who was responsible for the Virginia Statute on Religious Freedom, actually intended that there wouldn't be any kind of Christian influence In politics? Do you think he actually believed that? Do you think that Thomas Jefferson, two days later after writing this letter to the Danbury Baptist Association, would have attended the church service at the Capitol on January 3rd, Sunday, January 3rd, 1802? Do you think he would have ridden his horse 1.6 miles every Sunday, even in inclement weather, to faithfully attend the church service that was inside the Capitol building? If he really thought, the church has no place in government? You think that was his original intent? Not at all. And when the Supreme Court made their ruling in 1962, they completely disregarded the context of that phrase, a wall of separation between church and state. And it was an example of judi- judicial tyranny. And we, and we know it's only Congress that's supposed to make laws. See, if our, if our forefathers knew what the country would look like today, they would have written Congress and the president's and And the judiciary shall make no law, right? We've got executive orders. We've got the great and mighty Supreme Court deciding our fate with every. You know, it's it's just unbelievable how far we strayed. Anyway, I could talk about that all morning, but I won't. Uh, the, the point is, we, we've got a huge problem here, Christians. We, we have We have our rights, whom our Christian forefathers made sure that we would have, they're slowly being eroded and taken away from us. And, and, and as tomorrow is National Religious Freedom Day, it's just such a good reminder that our religious freedoms are a gift. Many people don't have these freedoms like they do in other countries, but, but that gift, if we're not using that gift and we're not standing up for that gift, it's, it's getting snatched away from us. Uh, and, and now is the time, Christian, to be bold, to stand up. So that's what I want to equip you with today. Because our culture is rapidly decaying and eroding because of all these things that have happened. And, and even, even uh, John Adams, second president, he said, you know, this, this government will, will only work for a moral and religious people. It, it is unfit for any other. So do you see what's happening with, with with this type of constitutional? It only works for a Christian people that get their morals from God. When we take God out of it, guess what? This system of government doesn't work anymore. And then we have tyrants rising up to rule over us and tell us what's right and what's wrong, that they're God, and they will decide who lives, who dies, and they don't fear God. And And that's, and that's what's happening. So now, now is the time. Uh, so, so God's word... Uh, Kind of first big point here. God's word provides the answer to moral decay of our time. Uh, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's word is still alive today, cutting out the cancer of sin in our lives and correcting wrong thinking that was influenced by our culture. As Christians, it's imperative that we know what his word says so we can apply its truths to society's issues. And that's where we need to begin. Do you know who probably, I have to say this carefully, do you know who knows the Bible better than probably anybody in this room? Satan. Probably knows it better than anybody in this room. And he used that even trying to trick, deceive, cause doubt, in God's very own son, Jesus Christ, didn't he? For it is written, surely the angels will catch you. You know, he, Satan knows scripture. And then he tries to get us to doubt from the very beginning. Did God really say, so So even when we know what the Bible says, God, Satan's going to take those verses and try to twist them. Well, did, did God really mean that when he said this? You, you know, did he, is that what he really meant? Read your Bible <laughs> daily. Study it. Memorize it. Stand on the word, which happens to be the name of a two-year Bible reading plan provided by Family Research Council at frc.org uh, slash Bible. I'm not getting paid to promote this, by the way. I, I've just been looking into FRC. i found a lot of really great resources, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that. So, so they, they started in 2022, so now they're in Isaiah. Uh, Tony Pierce um, um, g- gets gets on couple times a week and does a morning devotional thing. But anyway, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, get one. I, I hope and believe that most of you have, have some kind of a Bible reading plan. If not, uh, we need to be reading it daily, daily. Even if it's like the Proverbs of the day, today's the 15th, read Proverbs 15. You know, that's, that's an easy one to remember. Uh, you could go through Psalms. Uh, there's there's mul- multiple plans out there. If, you, if you're interested in the one that I'm, gonna, that I'm doing now, yeah, frc.org slash Bible. frc.org slash Bible. They've got it laid out, so it's six days a week, you read, and then, and, then on that, and then on Sundays, it's like a reflection time where you go through some discussion questions, kind of think about what you read. I really like that. I, I've done the one-year Bible reading in the past, which I do recommend, if you've never done that, I think every Christian should do that. I, I got to the point where it became just much more of an assignment for me to get through because I'm a slow reader. Uh, so so, so for me personally, I like this two-year Bible reading plan because then you get more time to think about what you read. And uh, Anyway, but everyone's different. We've got fast readers, slow readers, et cetera. Do, do what works for you, but the point is read your Bible every day. Did anybody raise your hand if you didn't eat anything all day yesterday? How about the day before? It, maybe, okay, the, the, po- the point is, ju- just as we... Most of us eat every day, of course, unless we're fasting. We, 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 must, we must have God's word every day. And once we know those truths, what's the proper relationship between Christianity and politics as we exercise our religious freedoms? And what is the duty of Christians when it comes to influencing politics and culture? Well, in Matthew 5, 14, we, we read it out loud this morning. Christ himself says this, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world, not the light of the church. It's easy to show up on Sunday morning with our smiley faces. Hi, how are you? It looks so good. And then we get home. Hey, kids, stop it. You're going to get disciplines when we get home. (laughs) Knock it off. Oh, I've been so convicted of that lately is the pastor that you see on Sunday mornings the same pastor inside our household? I, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I, I've, got, I've got some work to do, I do. Just uh, speak, speaking with gentleness to my children as I would if, if one of them came out here and started smacking me or something, be like, hey, not! i would be like, okay, let's not do that, please. <laughs> Isn't that true, though? We, 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 act, we act so differently. But let, let's, let's be consistent. Let our, let our public lives be like our private lives. Or uh, vice versa, let our private lives be, be like our public lives. How, how, when we want to keep up appearance. But we, we're the light of the world. We need to go out into the world. Our, when we go to our, our, our job, when we're going to city council meetings, when we're doing bridge protests or going to, you know, going to the Capitol uh, with legislation. Any, you know, we need to be influencing all spheres. When, when you go to the restaurant, I mean, do, do you treat your server like a human being instead of a slave? You know, it's like, do do you talk to them? Ask them what their name is. Get to know them. Hey, do you have a home church? Uh, We we have so many opportunities every day where we can be the light of the world. Let your light shine, not fearfully or complacently hiding it. In Matthew 5.13, Jesus calls us to be the salt of the earth. We are to be seasoning and preserving the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what salt does. It seasons, it preserves. What if you let meat sit out and it hasn't been salted? it's going to get rancid and stinky, right? And that's what's happening in our culture right now because there's not enough people seasoning and preserving our culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to be the salt and light putting our faith into action. I'm going to give us just five. So here's, here's five uh, action points I'm going to zip through to encourage each of us to bring a biblical Christian perspective into politics and culture. Okay. So these would be good to write down five, five steps. Once again, I, I apologize. They're not pre-printed for you. You'll have to write a couple words down, but th- they will be up on the, the PowerPoint. So number one, embrace your calling. So first action step, embrace your calling. This, this is what we need to do to bring a biblical Christian perspective into culture and politics. Embrace your calling. We are to be the light of the world, not a hidden light tucked away in some corners, shining just for ourselves. Uh, we are a city on a hill for all to see. And your first step is to embrace that calling. As a Christian, you are called to be a citizen of heaven above all. Amen? We are are citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God has placed you in America at this time for a reason. You are also called to be Christ's ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God wants to work through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are also called to be Christ's steward. Christ's steward, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 2. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Pastor Bob was talking to us this morning about, man, what a blessing it is just to be a servant, to be a servant of Christ. (laughs) Servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Are you being faithful with what God has entrusted you with? Your gifts, your talents, your time, your health, your finances. Are we being good stewards? Recognize the specific position that God has placed you in and use it for God's kingdom. We've got parents here. We've got state legislators here. We've got pastors here. We've got moms here. We've got homeschoolers. We've got, um, we've got so many different kinds of people here. So recognize what that position is and then use it for God's kingdom. Your purpose isn't to win people to a specific political party, but, but to Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do the work as he corrects any corrupted worldviews in new converts. We need to be getting the gospel out. And then let the Holy Spirit start changing that person's heart and thought and mind. That's our, our job is to, to communicate the gospel and to teach people everything that Jesus commanded us to. We, we, don't forget that part. That discipling process is the heart where the hard work comes in. But then let the Holy Spirit through the changing in people's hearts. Number two, know you will be opposed and remain fearless. Know you will be opposed and remain fearless. Don't be afraid to speak out. You may be afraid to offend others, afraid of what it will cost you, afraid to lose friends or be canceled, okay? but we mustn't live under the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We cannot live under the fear of man. While God has promised that there will be a cost to following Jesus, he also promises the reward will far exceed the hardship. In Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Christ says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Okay, It's, it's not good when people are reviling us, persecuting us, saying bad things about us. When we have been doing those bad things and we've been a bad example and sinning against the Lord and full of pride and hate and whatever else. But if it's it's because of what we're doing for Jesus and living out what he's asked us to, that's a good thing. We're blessed. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jeremiah preached and preached and preached and warned. I don't really think he saw a whole lot of fruit from that. (laughs) He didn't. And then Jonah was disobedient, ran away from God, finally went to Nineveh, okay, repent. And then he was waiting for the city to get destroyed and then they repented, 120,000 people repented and he was upset about it. So doesn't that go to show you, I mean, God will use whomever he wants to do whatever he wants, whether you've got a good attitude of doing it or not. Jeremiah did exactly what God told him to do, didn't see any fruit, who cares? Just do what God has called you to do. Remain, remain fearless. If you aren't facing opposition, you might be going with the crowd, not the king. If you're not facing opposition, you might be going with the crowd, not the king. When you speak God's truth, you will face opposition. You may even have people try to cancel you. But here's the, a truth you need to hold on to you can't be canceled by culture if you've been canceled at the cross. You can't be canceled by culture if you've been canceled at the cross. Anyone here been canceled by friends, family members, fellow pastors? I have. Actually, well, I better be careful. This this church has been canceled in some sorts because of our stance that we take. Your former self has been put to death in Christ, Your debt of sin has been canceled at the cross. Let's look Colossians 2:13 through 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay, and this was just like in the old times in the public square, they'd take somebody's debt Bam, bam, bam. They'd nail it. Zoom, zoom, paid. Then everybody knows this person no longer owes this debt to that person. It's been canceled. Uh, Haley and I experienced something like that a while ago where we had some financial debt that was canceled and forgiven. And uh, oh my goodness, what a what a blessing. And that's where we are. Our, our old self has been canceled. Amen? <laughs> that's, that's good news. Our sin, our sin has been canceled at the cross. Okay. You've already been canceled where it matters, and now you are free to live for Jesus. Galatians 5.1, good verse for that. Okay, number three, prepare for battle. So we got one, embrace your calling. Two, know you will be opposed and remain fearless. Number three, prepare for battle. We're kind of in football playoff seasons right now. I, I don't watch the NFL, but I did watch the Bison game last week. And you know what? I, I was I was happy for the Jackrabbits. You know, the Bison, the, you know, they, they what? They won nine out of... The past 11 championships that they were at, South Dakota had never had one. So, you know, it was kind of a bummer. But so, sorry if I'm offending anybody here, but it's like, okay, good. See, my wife is rubbing off on me. She's like, oh, I'm so happy for South Dakota. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she, she's so positive. Uh, anyway, but uh, ha- have you ever seen a football player run onto the field without pads or a helmet? No, never. He wouldn't do that. In the same way, my, my great uncle, by the way, played for uh, the, the 49ers in 1953 and then the Steelers in 1955. And he'd always joke with me. He said, oh yeah, back then we just had our leather helmets and after the game we'd take them off and fold them up and put them in our pocket. <laughs> you know? His hand, like I remember as a as an 11, or probably 10, 11 year old boy shaking his hands and his hands were huge. Uh, his wrestler name was Boom Boom. Uh, his, his name's Art, Art Mahalik. You can look him up. He's got a Wikipedia page. But uh, anyway, he got dementia, passed away a couple of years. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of hard work getting out there and, and playing football. You need, you, and you need armor and weapons in the spiritual battle that we're in, right? Uh, and those are found in God's word. Ephesians 6, 10, uh, 10 through 18 tells us about the armor that's available to us. Good passage to read. Uh, I'm going to look at verses 10 and 11 specifically, which say, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And my goodness, we need that now more than ever, don't we? We are in a spiritual battle. We, uh, Sister Jody Clemens, who's not here today, but uh, frequently, you know, she'll, t- Okay, armor up, pastor. Time to armor up. Probably some of you have heard her say the same thing. Okay, time to armor up. Get that armor on. And it's a, daily, it's a daily thing. We've got to do it every day. Don't go into battle without your full armor. Put it on each day. This will prepare you to engage in productive conversation when someone asks you about your faith. First Peter 5.13. This was the other verse that we read. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. These are things we need to be thinking about. What do we do when, when, that, when that door opens and we've got that divine opportunity? Someone says, my, my wife's ready all the time. You know, we go out to you like, my goodness, your kids are so well behaved. You got, and, and Haley right away, well, takes a lot of prayer and a lot of training and, you know, God, God's helping. You know, she, she, you know she's, she's ready to give that answer like, huh? what church you guys go to? You know, And, and it's, it's, it's amazing how everyday conversations can get moved to the spiritual. Isn't that what our Lord Jesus did? He would take everyday Situations and move it to the spiritual, and, and we need to be prepared to do that. We need to be prepared to do that. Be be ready to to tell someone about your faith. Do you have it? What, what's what's your story? How did you come to Jesus? So you guys have seen my testimony track. I've got it our our table, and I tell tell people my story, and I, I'm ready to give that to people. I Gave it to our uh, server yesterday morning, he, Heidi at uh, Randy's Diner too, and she's like, "Oh, awesome! Thanks so much for giving me this." You know. There was only one time where I gave it to somebody and this person was the epitome of the, well, our, our modern woke culture type looking person said, Hey, thanks so much for serving me today. This is a story how God's changed my life. Hope it's an encouragement to you. They took it like, d- didn't say anything just, but yeah, I could see they were just like disgusted on their face <laughs> and then, and then just kind of <laughs> turned like, the, I was like, <laughs> That, that's, that's the worst that's happened to me with, with me sharing my, my story of how I became a Christian. Anyway, four, speak the truth with boldness. Speak the truth with boldness. So three, of was prepare for battle. Four, speak the truth with boldness. So once we're armed for battle, it's time to get out there and fight. Resist the indoctrination that's being pushed on our children. Push back against the laws. Sorry, the, the lies, yeah, that they're thinking are laws when they're not. Push against the lies of the world. With the truth of scripture, we must speak the word with boldness as the early church did. Look at this, Acts 4.29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Acts 28.31, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You don't need to censor the truth when you're speaking to people. Yes, we need to do it with gentleness. Yes, we need to do it with respect. But you don't need to apologize for the gospel. You don't need to apologize for God designing two genders. You don't need to apologize for God saying that the shedding of innocent blood is an abomination. We don't have to apologize for that. These are God's morals and God's standards. And we can be proud to, to speak that with truth. The world is an incredibly confusing place these days, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not a God of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33. So then who is the author of confusion? John 8.44 calls Satan the father of lies, which would make him the author of confusion. Good good test if, if you're ever wondering, like, is, is this the Lord Speaking to me through his Holy Spirit, or is this Satan just trying to bring me down? Well, Satan brings confusion, Satan brings condemnation. There's no hope. So if you're feeling, man, I'm such a loser, shouldn't do this. Oh, you Satan brings you down. There's 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 no hope. He makes you confused. Things are, you know, okay. And that's one of the things I pray regularly when I stand in front of the abortion facility. Like, Lord, I pray you'd lift any thoughts of confusion from this mom's mind and give her clear thinking, remove that cloud of confusion. And let her hear the conviction of the Holy Spirit. See, the, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, he, he's calling us up to who we, we could be in the Lord, to follow him. It, he, he doesn't bring us down. He's like, no, Paul, you're a warrior for God. And this is the path that you need to go on, okay? So, so, the, the, so, so Satan brings confusion and condemnation. The Holy Spirit brings conviction and clarity. That's so important for us to remember. If we aren't using the Bible to redeem the societal and political structures around us, then we are just leaving them up to the devil. We need faith to infiltrate the political sphere. Is it any wonder why we are being ruled over by the sons of disobedience? Because the church has dropped the ball and we have not influenced culture like we should. Thankfully, there, there's people rising up. Uh, we, we have a lot of Christian legislators, even in North Dakota, really, really exciting. So, but we need to continue to move forward and make change. Um, all right, last one, five, pray, and I'm sorry I'm going long here, five, pray for the lost and misguided. Number five, last one, pray for the lost and misguided. We need to recognize that our enemy is the devil and not those who do not agree with us. So, so they, they may be your adversaries when it comes to political and societal issues, but just like you, they are made in God's image and in desperate need of redemption. Uh, and God's helped me with that, uh, particularly with uh, like, like escorts at the abortion facility. I look at, I'm like, how can you guys be doing this, helping these moms? And then I think to myself, man, without without Christ in my life, I might be doing the same thing. And start looking at, okay, this person was made in God's image. They've been deceived by the enemy. And, and they they need to be ministered to. And I'll, I'll, I'll say little things. I know they're trained to ignore us, but I know they can hear it. And uh, just inviting them, hey, you don't have to do this. To, repent of this, Tur- turn away from this. You're, you're, you're helping these moms, you know, ki- kill their children. Please, please don't do this and, and trying to give them a different way. Anyway, just an example. Second Peter 3.9 tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And that's the heart that we need to have for the lost. God's patient with them. He wants them to repent. We need to be patient with them to repent. And, and yes, I do believe there are some people that eventually reach that state of where Romans says they' they're they're given over. I, I don't think we know exactly who those people are per se, God, but I, I think there are people that they, they, they have like literally <laughs> enlisted as workers for for Satan, and you know their their fate is sealed. But, like I said, we, we don't know who those people are and 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 God is God is so patient. And and he wants everyone to turn to him. So pray for the unbelievers that they'd come to repentance. Pray pray for believers who have bought into the lies of the culture, that they would return to God and become advocates for his truth. Uh, so, So repentance, turning back to the Lord and his word, that's what America needs now more than ever is repentance. And God has placed you and I in this place, this time in history, because he wants to use us to bring the timeless wisdom of scripture to our nation, and help turn hearts back to God. So let's ask, let's ask God together to ignite our hearts and his family of believers, ignite a fire in each of our hearts that we might be a blazing fire in our community, state, nation, and in the world. So once again, the, the big idea is let your light shine. Uh, and I, I'm just going to close us in prayer here. I apologize for going a little late. Uh, we do have our prayer meeting tonight, uh, so feel free to, to join us for that. We've, we focus a lot of that on uh, just God bringing about revival in our nation, praying for persecuted believers, praying for uh, things going on in our nation, or our church, etc. So if you're able to join us for that, uh, please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time. Oh, Lord, I pray you'd make us a bold and courageous people who knows your word, uh, reads your word, stands on your word, and uses that to be the light of the world to influence uh, this culture that you've put us in, Lord. God, I I pray that we would be, first and foremost, good citizens of heaven. Lord, we pray uh, that your name would be holy, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And God, I pray you'd use us as your ambassadors to represent you well, Jesus, in all the spheres that you have put us in. And that we'd be good stewards of everything that you've given us, Lord. Help us to be faithful with what you've given us. So, Father, I pray that we go forth today. I've, I've got so many things uh, that I, I need improving in and growing in. I just pray for each of us here, Lord. Some of us may be thinking the same thing. Uh, that just as you are patient with us, uh, I pray we'd be patient with ourselves. Uh, Lord, thank you for the grace that you grant us. I pray we'd grant grace to ourselves with, with one another. Uh, as Brother Jim said, man, we need each other more now than ever. I pray we'd be united together. We'd encourage one another. We'd push each other forward. Uh, that we'd be united as a family, uh, as an army, as one body, uh, this church, Lord. Uh, just that we'd be honoring to you. Pray you'd use us for your glory. And God, I pray you'd prepare us. Uh, as I preached last week, prepare us to suffer well. We'd be, that we'd count the cost. Uh, and be ready to face it, Lord. And we rejoice when we're persecuted because of you. So pray you'd go forward, Lord. Uh, Thank you for the religious freedoms that we do have. And Lord, I pray we continue to exercise those religious freedoms uh, as long as we can in this nation uh, that we'd be honoring to you in how we do that. So we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.